Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Shannon Hobbs Anthony. Shannon grew up in the same small Utah town I did. She was friends with my little sister Haley, and her brothers, Ashton and BJ, were a year older than me and then a year younger than me in school. And one terrible night in October of 2003, her family's whole world changed. So Shannon, thank you so much for being willing to just share your family's story first and foremost. I know that this is not an easy story to tell, but I know you've got a very powerful message. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Carly. First off, I want people to know who Ashton and BJ were. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yes, I most definitely can. They were extraordinary men. Of course, I'm a little biased because they were my brothers. But um, let me start off with Ashton because he was the older of the two. He was an incredible human being. He was fiercely devoted to people. And, in fact, after his death, we had dozens of people come to us and tell us that he had literally saved their life. Hmm. Yeah, he had this beautifully unique way of helping people find their purpose. If there was somebody sitting alone at lunch, he would take them under their wing. And if there's somebody being bullied at school, he always found a way to find that person and make them feel like they had worth in this world. So special. Yeah, he was a special man. And he had this constant drive to just make a difference. He took care of people in every way imaginable, but a lot of times what people didn't see is that he he also carried a lot of pain inside his heart. He lost two of his best friends in tragic accidents, yeah. and this pain that he went through ignited some kind of fire in him that just drove him to help people, and he that's what his whole mission in life was was to help people free people of their pain and he all of his friends have been touched in some way everybody that knew him were touched in some way for the better and he he had a little boy that was his whole world he was six months old when when he passed Mm. but in that six months he did everything he could to treasure that little boy and to show him adventure after adventure. So he was an an incredible man that had an unwavering faith in people. He would have uh, situations where people would disappoint him or let him down, but he never gave up on them. He continued to support them, and he continued to be a pillar for them. So he was a strength to so, so many people, and he no doubt in his short time here on Earth made an astronomical difference in the lives of so, so many people. Wow. That, and, you know, I didn't have, honestly, an opportunity to ever really get to know him. He was a year older than me in school, and we just ran in different circles of friends, uh, but I knew that he was someone that people gravitated towards and 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 really liked, you know? I just never got to know those things about him so that's really neat 
Yes, he did. He had tons and tons of friends, and he was devoted to all of them. He knew each of them personally. I mean, he had hundreds and hundreds. We had so many letters come to us after he passed, just telling us what a difference he made in their lives and how he made each of them feel special. So everybody feel like they knew him on an intimate level. He, he just made, he had this special, unique way of making everybody feel special. And what about BJ? Okay, BJ, he was the easiest person in the world to get along with. He was, his family meant the world to him. He loved every single one of us, and he was devoted to every single one of one of us. He had zero ego whatsoever. He had no <laughs> ego. He loved everybody, and even if they didn't love him back, he didn't care. He loved them. He found the good in everybody, and he found the good in every situation. In fact, I have so many memories of my mom trying to get after him for him being disobedient. Yeah. But it turned into everybody laughing. (laughs) Like, how he did that, I will never know. But he just had this gift of taking a really intense situation and making light out of it. And he would always have us all laughing. He was unapologetically himself 100% of the time. Wow. He just was him, and he had the best hugs. He mm-hmm. hugged everybody, no matter if you were a stranger. He would give you a hug, and everybody remembers BJ for his big hugs That's cool. and his adventure. He was extremely adventurous. Now, both of, both of them were adventurous guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, like they lived for thrill. They lived for adventure. They loved, loved extreme sports. And they both lived for that. And so that was a huge part of their lives. What was their relationship like as brothers? Because there's five kids in your family, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. And then how were they They together? were the best of friends. They were inseparable. And they. the funny thing is, is my brother BJ, he didn't have a ton of friends on his own, but his siblings, friends, were all his best friends. Mm-hmm. So, like, my best friends were his friends, and BJ, Ashton's best friends were his friends, and so, and Tyler's best friends were his best friends. So, BJ just would gravitate to wherever his family members were, and in return, he became friends with all of their friends. And so, they, I mean, they were meant to be together all the time. And, in fact, when, they, when I found out that they were missing, my first thought was, oh, please don't take both of them. Right. But then the more that I sat and I, you know, I thought about it, I, I knew they belonged together. Mm. They wow. were stronger together. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about where they were at in life on the night of October 1st, 2003. How old were they? What were they doing in life at this point? Okay, at this point, Ashton was 23, and he was married with his little boy, Mm -hmm. and BJ was 21, and he was engaged to be married, and he was working as a builder at the time. Okay. So they set out to go scuba diving in a canal, and this was something that I had heard your parents had warned them not to do. Is that right? 
Right. So my father had taught them how to scuba dive, and my father was a very advanced scuba diver. Okay. And to understand my brothers, for anybody that know them, they know that they, they like I said, they thirst for thrill and adventure. Yeah, they wanted to live life. They wanted to live life at its fullest. And so they had one mentioned to my dad, hey, like, we want to go scuba diving in this canal. And my dad said, very, I mean, my dad is a very to the point kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And so he said, don't do it. And he, looking back, it's something that's very painful for him, because he wishes he would have explained why and the dangers. Right. He just kind of said, no, don't do it. Right. He just said, don't do it. And he did say, you know, we need to, you need to be more advanced for that. Don't do it. So that caused a lot of pain for my family as well because my dad, you know, he had the what ifs of, oh, I should have, I should have educated them more on the dangers of scuba diving in a canal. But my brothers, they didn't think of danger. All they thought of was the thrill and the adventure Mm -hmm. and the memories they make in the adventure. Sure. So I also heard that they had left a note for your parents saying where they were going and, you know, if we're not back at this time, that's when you should worry. Is that what happened? So actually Ashton left a note for his wife. Okay. Tammy. Yeah. And so he left a note for his wife saying, we went scuba diving. If we're not home, if I'm not home by 11, you should worry. Um, call my dad, or I'm not exactly sure what it said, but she ended up calling my father at about 11 o'clock at night saying that they had gone scuba diving, and my dad wasn't worried at all. He's like, oh, they'll be fine, because we have spent many nights waiting up for them worried. Yeah. Because they were those kind of guys. Like, they just loved the thrill. So, but as soon as Tammy said they went scuba diving in this canal, my dad immediately, he said, call search and rescue right now. He Mm. knew. Just knew in his gut that something was wrong pretty quick. Yes, he he just knew. So he called search and rescue, and how did it kind of play out from there? So he called search and rescue, and they went straight over to the canal to meet search and rescue, but it took hours uh, for search and rescue to get there because it was late at night, and it took, a, it took a while for them to get there, and then they had to figure out their plan and what to do, and meanwhile, my dad wanted to go down into the canal to find them because, like I said, my dad was a very advanced scuba diver, and he'd... he'd um, tube dived many times in his life, so he knew how to do it safely. But the search and rescue was there, so they wouldn't allow him to do that. Okay. Was, this, that, yeah. was the situation immediately hopeless at this point, or were you guys still hanging on to hope that maybe it was okay? So my parents did not tell us, the, their siblings, until the morning, that next morning. Okay, okay. So my mom and dad went there, and I think they kind of knew fairly quickly. But my dad was eager. He wanted to go down in, and my brother, my other brother, wanted to go down in. But 
but they couldn't. Their hands were tied because of authorities at that time. And so then the next morning they started draining the canal. And at that time it was just a rescue. It was just a search. It was like no longer a rescue at that time. But And is that how it was presented to you? And I mean, is that the kind of news that you got in the morning? That No, I was pretty naive in the morning. So my mother called me fairly or early. It was like five thirty AM. I was at college in Saint George and she called me and I answered it. And she said to me, we're searching for your brothers. We've been searching for them all night. And my first response was, Mom, they're fine. Yeah. They always are fine. You know, they always were fine. They they push their limits quite often. And so I said, Mom, just go back to bed. And she said, no, Shannon, we're searching for mm-hmm. your brothers. And the fear in her voice, I knew something was wrong. Yeah. I knew. And I just. I I immediately hit the floor and I just started feeling that they'd be okay. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I was so far away from home. I didn't know how to be there for my family. And at that point, all I could do was wait. All all any of us could do was wait to to know what was going to happen. Yeah. I have to tell you, um, during this time, I was interning at... Channel 2 in Salt Lake City. And we uh, ended up getting the raw footage of that search. And I remember coming across that. And, like, I will never forget the look on Ashton's wife's face, Tammy. It was just, just sickening. It just made you just sick. I'll never forget seeing that. Um, wow. Um, so you guys were all there when, when you kind of got some closure and they were found, correct? I I was not. Okay. Was not. Everyone else was though. Yeah, everybody was there. I I was in the airport and everybody was here together at the canal and I was at the airport and we had so many people rallying around us and helping us and a dear friend of the family had totally taken over trying to figure out how to get me home because I was going to just get in the car and drive but my mom said no you will not drive you're not in any position I didn't realize at the time I'm like no mom I can drive and she said no because I think my mom knew the news I was going to get, and at that time I didn't know the news. Sure. So she didn't want me driving alone when I got the news. And so we had a, a wonderful family member, or a friend of the family, who offered to buy me a plane ticket to get me home. And it was right before I got on the plane, and I just said, okay, I'm starting to board. I'm going to call my mom to check in. And, and I called her, and... I said, hey, Mom, how's it going? Any news? And she said with the, the most angelic, calm voice I have ever heard her speak in, and she said, we found them, Shannon. Oh. And I, I, like, immediately, like, oh. jumped for joy, like, yes. Oh, you're thinking they found them and they're okay. Yeah, like, I thought, yes, you found them. Oh. And then she responded, they're together in heaven now. And... Oh, 
and there's not a day that goes by that those words don't replay in my mind of just knowing that they're together in heaven and that that their time on earth was over and Yeah, I remember I remember seeing Tammy and she was holding Tegan. He's just an infant, Ashton's son. And just thinking like this poor little boy just lost his dad. You know? Uh yeah. one of the hardest things I've ever seen. Um how how did the different members of your family process this or how did they kind of grieve differently you know what we all grieve differently it you know for for my mom it was really easy for her like she really? just had the staunch faith of she knew where they were yeah she knew she would see them again and that she i mean i'm not saying it was easy for her to be without them because it was really hard but it was easy for her to accept that they were gone and she was she was able to work through her pain with such ease and with such beauty and i i just looked i mean it was just it was amazing to witness that from my mother and i feel like in return she's been able to be a strength to so many other people that have suffered with grief in their life oh i'm sure yeah i'm sure but my father he he struggled he struggled really deeply and desperately. He wanted them back. He felt like a lot of it was his fault, and he took the blame upon himself. He thought he'd let us all down, and he couldn't imagine living without his boys. I mean, they, yep. they were really, they were his boys. You know, and he couldn't imagine living one day without them. And he he struggled for a very, very long time living without them and coming to terms with it. Because, you know, it's so painful when it happens and in the moment, but the real paralyzing pain comes after when everything has settled and the support's gone and you don't have the calls every day, you don't have the letters coming in, and all you're left with are the thoughts that are in your mind, those disempowering, destructive thoughts that just eat at you. And you replay that image and that in your head every day. So it's almost like you're going through that pain again every single day, trying to figure out what if. What if I would have taught them this? Or what if I would have done this? Sure. And he really struggled with that. And, you know, when you go through a tragic accident such as we did and you don't have all the answers, there's a piece of you that just fixates on that. You just fixate on that little detail of what happened and mm-hmm. what, you know, what went, what went wrong. Exactly. Yeah, what went wrong, what happened. And so for my dad, for a long time, he struggled with this. He just replayed these thoughts in his head that prolonged the grief cycle i mean yeah immensely like it just took a really long time for him to grieve and i think for the siblings and i for me i was very similar i i 
tried to be strong and brave. I tried to be there to help plan the funeral and be strong for my mom and dad. And so instead of finding a place for my pain, I suppressed it. And I hid it inside of me for a very long time, where unfortunately it started to manifest itself later on in life as anxiety and depression. Well, and you probably didn't even recognize that's what you were doing at the time. I think a lot of us just have these immediate reactions and we don't think like, I'm burying this and it's going to come back to haunt me years later. You just are dealing with it in your own way. That's exactly, it's true. I mean, we're not really educated from a young age that when you go through these things, you have to make place for your pain. And as you learn how to not let them con- that pain consume you, but it's okay to feel that pain. Yes. And I didn't realize that. I didn't know how to do that. And so I just suppressed everything, everything. And all my pain, I just suppressed it until I would just, I just, melted down and I struggled and then when I finally started to learn about the grief cycle and learn that I needed to move through this process mm-hmm. then that's when you know you really start to figure it out like it's okay that I feel this way and everybody that goes through a loss has to move through that grief cycle well and I think it's important to recognize that those feelings will ebb and flow or they will pass that you won't be stuck in some of the darkest moments forever exactly exactly that's what I always tell people I say the best advice anybody ever gave me when I was going through this was that you will never get over this loss. Nope. But you will learn how to love your life, and you will learn how to live without them. Yeah. I always say there are certain things in life that we simply will never get over, but we have to get through it. We have to get to a point where we find joy in our lives again. But that doesn't mean that we've gotten over it or we've forgotten it or it doesn't still cause us pain. Pain. Exactly, exactly. And I, th- I think you are 100% correct when you say that because I don't think there, I will ever be without pain from this. Now, there's a difference not. between the pain consuming you and then the pain being okay with your pain. There is a difference. Yes. And I think when we get to that place where our pain, that, that pain is, it's okay, it's, you recognize it, and it's okay to be there. Because I don't think we ever truly heal from a loss. I think it will no. always be there, but we just learn how to cope with it and we learn how to get through it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Ashton's wife, Tammy, and his son, Tegan, and, and their grief process and how this has affected them. Okay, so I do have a little bit... I'm not positive with... Um, speaking on their behalf, but I can say my perspective. Okay, that's that's fair. (laughs) Yes, my, so Tammy had a really hard time. She clinged on to the first man that she found, Mm -hmm. and it ended up being a very destructive relationship. And for years, she was not a part of our lives, and Tegan was not allowed to be a part of our lives. Gosh, I didn't even know that. Yes, and it was very, it was extremely painful, and 
And, in fact, Tegan didn't even know about Ashton until he was a teenager. You're kidding me. I had no idea. No, yeah, he didn't know. He didn't know about that, that he had another father that loved him dearly because his because of his situation. And so now he knows, and now he he is an amazing young man, and he is absolutely incredible, but he's had to be able to figure out how to work through his pain and how to make, you know, all that make sense. Yeah, and I will say, you know, as you talk about that, that's just a whole other loss that your family had to experience, and yet, you know, I don't know what Tammy was going through, and we all deal with, like we said, we deal with this in different ways, and that probably is just how she dealt with it, you know, right or wrong or whatever. That's just how she dealt with it. And, you know, I don't know that we can judge anyone for just going through that grief process in their own way. Right, right. And we do when we're going through, when we lose somebody so suddenly that is such an important part of our lives, we lose a part of ourselves and act irrationally and we do things that we regret and we're not realizing it in the moment, but we look back and we think, wow, what what did we do there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hope that along the way people are looking out for us and that we're not messing up too much. But, yeah, it was it was a whole nother loss for us. We All we could do was keep Tegan in our prayers and hope that one day he'd come back to our lives, and, and he has, and he's, he seems like a very strong, strong man, and in fact, when we spend time with him, it's hard not to see Ashton in him. Because... I was going to say, because, I mean, he's 16 now, correct? Mm-hmm. And he, he is becoming this this man, and I wondered how much he reminded you of Ashton. Yes, he reminds me in his stature. He looks a, a lot like Tammy, but his stature, the way he holds himself with such confidence, is just his father through and through. Yeah. How did you you know, bring the memory of his father back into his life? What are some things that you've done to kind of keep that alive or or give him that? So I will say I haven't been great at that because he is 16 and he kind of has his life and his and his friends and his group, but well, we, and in, in a sense, I mean, this is a, he was, he was six months old at the time. So it's a story. It's not really something that he didn't grieve it like the rest of you. Cause he doesn't right. remember it. Right. So we have videos, we have videos that we get together of, <laughs> so my brothers made BJ and Ashton together. They had a best friend, Christy on a mission and they would make her videos together and they mm-hmm. would send them to her. And so we get together about once a year, and we watch these videos, and Tegan will come and watch them, and we'll tell him stories mm-hmm. about about his father and how much he loved him, and we'll talk about his personality and the things that he gave to the world and how he had so many amazing hopes for him. So we do very much try to keep their memory alive and through memory, through talking about them and through sharing experiences and, and things that 
they did to touch each of our lives. Sure. You know, people always talk about time healing, and I've never, fortunately, so far in my life been through this level of a tragedy, but I've always thought, is that true? Like, does it get better with time or does it get worse? Or what, what does it look like as the years go by? Well, I think you hit it right on the nail when you said it's just the ebbs and flows. Yeah. Like you have moments where you're like, okay, we, I can do this. And then you have a moment in life where you're like, where are they? Mm-hmm. Why are they not here? And that pain resurfaces. And that's why I feel like it's really important to learn those tools of how to work through your pain without letting it consume you. Because in my experience, I don't think it gets better with time. I think we learn about ourselves in time, so we learn how to work through the emotion. But it's always there. It's ebbing and flowing, and some days you're you're coping just fine, and then it will just hit you, and you can't figure out where they went and why they're gone. And but you just have to take that moment, one breath at a time, and work through it. Yeah, and I've thought to myself too. I'm like, when I miss someone, it it almost gets worse the longer they're gone, you know? Mm-hmm. So is, is that true in a sense? Or is, is, it, is it like, oh, it's been 16 years and, and do your, some of your memories fade or, or not really? Well, you know, I think some of the memories do fade because we are human, right? Yeah. Like every time I hear their voice on the video camera, it's always a little different than I remembered it being. In your mind. But you have those memories that you always have. And I do, I do think in some sense it does get harder in time because you, you develop as a person and you bring in lives into your family. And sure. I often am thinking... Like, oh, only if BJ, because I have a little boy that just creates, he has the mind like BJ has, where he's always wanting to create, he's always wanting to build things, and I just don't have that. So I'm always thinking, BJ, where are you? Like, I wish you were here. So, I mean, I do want to give people hope in saying that it does get better, as in you learn how to cope with it. But it doesn't get any easier, as in you stop missing them. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So speaking about some of the coping tools that you've learned, I know that you are now a yoga instructor. Has that played a distinct role in you working through your grief? It is the direct role for me. I found healing through yoga, and I know that sounds kind of bizarre, maybe a little bit out there, but I... When, like I told you, I suppressed a lot of my emotions. And so when I found yoga and I found how to work through that, through my breath patterns, through my movement in my body, through focusing my mind, and that's when I was able to develop the skills and the tools to be able to work through those triggers mm-hmm. and those painful experiences. Because we do, we go back to this place in our mind where we're replaying the events of the day, of that tragic day. Yeah. And we're replaying those emotions, and we're experiencing that pain all over again. And I have learned through yoga how to discipline the mind not to take me there. 
to make space for my pain and for um, overcoming, but not to dwell on things I can't change, and and to be able to work with my breath, to be able to move through my emotions, and it it has changed my life. I mean, immensely. That's huge. Have any of your other family members joined you in that, or have they just found healing in their own way? They've all kind of found healing in their own way. Nobody uh, has really followed in the yoga. My my father, he, because he had such a hard time, he was fortunate enough to find somebody who was able to do mindfulness with him that helped him get his mind off of that tragic accident and into a more healthy place. Mm-hmm. And so he worked through a lot of mental exercises, which really helped him, which is a huge part of yoga as well. So I would say my dad probably did use the mental side of yoga for healing. And I think, I mean, I think without them knowing, they've used it sure. <laughs> um, for healing. But we've all kind of gravitated towards our own thing, and we've all kind of mourned in our own ways. I do think it's so interesting how that mind-body connection where I know a lot of people that have worked through their grief through running, hitting that pavement, you know, over and over and over again. And You found it through yoga, but there really is something to moving your body and how it just can kind of get you thinking a little bit differently. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we have these little proprioceptors in our muscles that just hang on to that information and hangs on to, unfortunately, the pain that we suffer. Yeah. And so the only way that we can really release that is by moving our body. And it's it's helped me I, more than I could even describe. Sure. You know, one thing that I always hear, too, about um, tragedies, people will always say these cliche things and... And maybe you even heard some of these things and were like, stop it, stop saying these things to me. But, you know, people will say, everything happens for a reason or you know, you've got to find the blessings in the tragedy. Have you found anything good that has come of this? Or do you just look at it and say, this simply never should have happened and there isn't anything good that has come of it? So... That's a very loaded question. That is a loaded question. So I'll try to answer it honestly. So I want to acknowledge people's hearts, and I know that they're coming from a really good place. Yeah. But when somebody just loses a family member, please do not tell them. Please do not tell them that everything happens for a reason and that they are in a better place. (laughs) Because you're thinking, I want them here. They are (laughs) not in a better place. Exactly. Because my, my, my mind is still in the freak out mode where I'm like, I don't want them anywhere else, but with me. Yes. And so when it first happens, when you hear those cliche things, and I know, like I said, I want to respect people's hearts and their goodness. They mean well. They (laughs) They just don't know, especially if someone has never been through it. (laughs) Exactly. But I felt, I'm pretty sure I said, if somebody tells me one more time that they're in a better place, I I might punch them. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's so hard to hear, and you don't know that unless you're going through it or unless you've gone through it. But that's just a really hard thing to hear because you think, 
well, why are they in a better place? Why is why is this their place with me not better? Mm-hmm. And so then you feel like you're not as important as where they are now. And so at first when you would hear those things, all you could think about was your suffering and your pain and your family's pain. And But as time goes on, you start to understand that people are truly trying. They want to help you. They want you to see how it can strengthen you for the better. And and you realize that that's the reason why they say those cliche things. Mm -hmm. And so then they do start over time, start to help you realize, you know, yeah, there are blessings that come from this. They, the, the, tragedy was that we lost two very important people in our lives and there's not a day that goes by that I do not miss them that I do not feel the pain of losing them but I would lie if I did not say that I don't see little blessings through it all and I think that's a gift that Mm -hmm. we are given well I think even when you talk about your mom being able to help other people through their grief, that's a blessing. You know, we, she couldn't do that without her own story. You know, not that she would, <laughs> I'm sure she would much rather have her boys back, right. but it's, it's really neat that she can do that for someone else, you know, in a way that, that other people just can't. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we have, I have seen that. I have seen little miracles and little ways where like I, had mentioned to you earlier, if I can just help one person work through their grief and know that they're not alone, then I feel like that we're honoring the boys yeah. and we're honoring their their life. Absolutely. What would you say is your, your main message to anybody that suffers a tragedy like yours? I would say that that you're not alone and that people are praying for you. And even though you feel alone and you feel isolated and you feel like nothing could ever be the same, that there is hope that they will rebuild their life and they will, they will learn to love their life again. It, it will be hard, but to know that there is hope and there are people that, that want to help through it all. And to not push those people away. And no matter if they do say those cliche things, Mm -hmm. hold them tight because they're trying. (laughs) They're trying and they want to help you get through it. And that's what I would tell people that are going through grief. To not give up hope. Yeah, that you can can find some level of joy again. Absolutely. Well, Shannon, thank you so, so much for sharing your story. I know that it is a very difficult story to tell. And I just want you to know, even though I never had the opportunity to really know your brothers, I have never forgotten them and I've never forgotten your family's story. And um, it's something that has impacted so many people that that knew them to various degrees and um, it, it makes you hold your own family a little bit tighter and, and, you know, hold on to all of the moments and all of the memories because it's just another reminder that there's, there's no promise of tomorrow. So thank you for your strength and for your words of comfort in 
in helping others get through the grief process. Thanks for having me, Carly. It's a pleasure being on here with you today. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 